Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. My name is Richard Putherer and I'm here with my co-host, business partner and wife, Nina. We are the founders of Inspired Equity, the London-based investment business that specialises in property acquisition and development. And between us, we are world record holders, international investors, prolific networkers, speakers and coaches, and it is our absolute pleasure to introduce our podcast. On this show, we'll be discussing all aspects of successful property investing, covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments. We'll be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live Q&As with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property. Tonight, I'm going to be taking things back to basics and talking about what I see as the three core elements of property investing. Property has always been seen as a, a way to make lots of money and become wealthy. wealthy. And largely, that, that is actually correct. But I'm going to be the bearer of bad news, as sadly, the reality is, according to some studies, that there are more people losing money in property than actually making it. Now, that naturally excludes the homeowner who bought their property 50 years ago, and now today they're sitting in a um, property that's doubled its value on multiple occasions. Uh, but also, that isn't also necessarily uh, the case. I can give many, many examples of places within the UK where property prices today are still significantly less than they were in 2007. But for those people that are sitting in their house that has received huge capital appreciation over time, that is largely relative and potentially irrelevant if you want to make money out of a property because it's your home and you still need somewhere to live. You can have all the equity in the world, but that's not liquid cash. You can't go and book a holiday or pay for dinner with the equity in your property. So when I said that there's actually more people losing money in property than making it, it's those people that want to actually use property as a vehicle to, for them to earn a living. The landlord, the renovator, or the developers, the people that want to make money out of property. Even today, there's uh, two, been two great examples of the mistakes that can be made. Now, um, uh, early afternoon today, the Chancellor announced that there's going to be a stamp duty holiday, so the tax that you pay when purchasing a property. And there is going to be a stamp duty holiday, and there will be some savings. But this has been put in place for the owner-occupier, so the person that's buying a property for, their, their, um, for themselves to live in. And investors will still have to pay that 3% surcharge on property values up to half a million pounds. So yes, whilst over a property that's worth 300,000 pounds, you will make a saving, even as an investor of 5,000 pounds. Today, Savills have also released their latest research and predictions that properties are going to soften, the values of them are gonna decrease by up to 7.5% by the end of the year. So on a £300,000 house and a saving of £5,000 in stamp duty, that equates to less than 
but the property by the end of the year could devalue by seven and a half. Yeah, everyone's been getting excited saying they're gonna go and buy, 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 because now is the time because of the stamp duty reduction. We need to look at all aspects of property. Then on a call today with one of my clients, they said that they were um, actually on a property webinar yesterday and it was suggested to the listeners that people that were just starting out in property should go and buy a property to rent out that's already been done up. And I explained why that's probably the worst advice that could be given because if you're buying a property at market value as a, an investment property, what happens if the market depreciates, which it's very likely to do this year? Straight away, your investment has lost value. The saying, you make money in property when you buy, not when you sell, is oh so true, and I cannot underpin that enough. So tonight, I wanted to take it back to basics, and I'm gonna talk about what I see as the three core elements of property investing. So what are these? Well, I think it's quite simple. The three things are time, money, and know-how. Now, for the um, initial start, I'm going to assume that you at least have know-how to start with, because if you have none of those, it might be a little bit difficult to start out in property, but we can cover that off. So taking it down to those individual elements, if you start with the know-how, so you understand how to invest in properties, there's potentially four outcomes. So you have the know-how, um, and you have money, but no time. You have the know-how with time and no money. You have no time and no money. Well, then you're in the privileged position where you have time and money. The first one I'm going to talk about is whether um, you have time but no actual money, but you have the know-how to invest in property. But there's a number of things that you can consider as your options if you have time. The one and the most common is to become a sourcing agent. So you find properties that um, are potential deals and you go and market those to investors that, who have money. Now this is a great means of earning capital because the only real um, uh, investment is time and you get you charge a fee for you actually packaging these deals. However, I see so many people falling into uh, a big pitfall when it comes to sourcing. Firstly, a lot of the deals they put forward aren't particularly good because they haven't looked at all elements of the deal. And so it's imperative that that know-how is actually used to structure a deal so that an investor wants to purchase it. The other thing is that I get so many deals packaged to me, but these opportunities, so the properties are actually already available. So they're listed on a platform such as Rightmove or Zoopla, or they're listed with other land agents. And this poses an issue because they're trying to package a deal for you, but it's actually just something that's advertised. To really do a great job in sourcing, and we will be doing an entire podcast on sourcing, but to really do a great job in sourcing, it needs to be an off-market deal where you as the sourcer are speaking directly with the property owner or the landowner. One of the other greatest pitfalls that I find sources falling into 
is that they say that they're a sourcer, but really they're looking for deals and in the meanwhile trying to find investment. And there's a mixed message that really uh, um, uh, is apparent to um, the person that wants to buy the deal. So what happens is they try and keep the deal for themselves, don't really want to sell the deal on, they miss out on the opportunity to actually sell the deal um, and won't find an investor because the investor isn't confident in them. Now, I buy sourced deals all the time. And just one example of one deal last year, I actually paid sourcing fees of 15,000 pounds and was actually happy to do so. I've also looked at opportunities where the sourcing fee has been over 100,000 pounds. Now, the deal didn't stack, but had the deal worked for me and there was enough capital in it, I'd be happy to pay that money. But even going back to that 15,000 pound sourcing fees, how many of those do you need a year to replace a salary? Four, six, 10? Still very, very achievable numbers, finding great deals. Just one a month will realize an income of 180,000 pounds a year, which isn't a bad start getting into property with zero capital and just a bit of know-how. The other way, and this is one that's overlooked by so many um, people that are looking to get into property, have the know-how, but don't have the funds to actually do the properties themselves, is to find an exceptional deal and go and work with an investor or a developer that has the experience. Now, when I suggest this to many sourcing agents, they think that um, it's an opportunity for the developer, myself, to get a deal without paying the sourcing fees. And they also, um, I, I hear they say, well, you know, why would I give away a deal? If I'm gonna do it, I wanna do it myself or I'm gonna source it on. Here's the thing. To enable yourself to raise capital, to ultimately become the investor, the person that's raising the capital yourself, you need to have experience in actually doing a deal, know how itself doesn't work, and you need to have social proof. So you need to be able to evidence to an investor that you have done a deal like this yourself. So by working with an experienced developer, property, um, uh, investor is an exceptional way to get yourself into this market. Now, how it works. Find the deal, go and work alongside an investor. In the example, when we do this, we bring all of the debt, so the development finance or the mortgage, we bring all of the equity, so the actual capital required to mobilize the deal, we have the skill set and the know-how, and ultimately, the deal will get done at a higher profit than if the sourcer was to try and do it themselves. The sourcer gets a profit share of the project once complete and then gets to actually say that they've done the deal. Now, this has many benefits, not just for raising capital themselves, but there's a real chicken and egg situation that goes on with um, a financial product that helps you do development, so development. You can't get development finance unless you've done a development. So how can you do a development if you can't get development funding? It's a real chicken and egg situation. So to work alongside an experienced investor, you've not only done the deal, made the money, but now got the experience to be able to go out and do those yourself. 
it de-risks it and you learn whilst you're um, actually on a project. So that deals with time but no money. Then we have the matter of money. So you have experience, you have capital to work with, but you now have no time. Well, you have two options to consider. Firstly, find time. Now, before I see the chat just, um, just uh, light up with people say, hey Richard, how can you find time? I'll assure you that this was a position that I was in when I started out. I was uh, working 80 hours a week in my career, had some capital to start out with, but just couldn't figure out how I was gonna do that. But then when you break it down, I thought, well, hang on a second, 80 hours in a week I was working, there's 168 hours in a week in total. What was I doing with the other 88 hours? Now, of course, at some point you need to be able to sleep and you have to eat and you have to do some of the normal life things as well. But I was wasting time. And so I um, took some time out to study things like Parkinson's law. So it explains how work expands to fill the time allotted to it and really analyze what I was doing. And things like when I was commuting on the train, I, I'm either just doing uh, non-important emails or looking at social media and exchanging that for educating myself further or actually using that time rather than social media to actually look for property opportunities. So it's about what you're doing with your time and making sure you can run more efficiently. But I also, I like looking at analogies and a program on TV that I have watched in the past and with enjoyment is Grand Designs because naturally it's property related. And if um, when I was um, in my career and I was uh, going to the office the next day, a lot of people in the office would talk about Grand Designs and they would only ever remember the final two minutes of the show. They would say how lucky that person is to live in the dream home and look at it, it was the most wonderful place to live and they forget about the 58 minutes of the program beforehand where that person has lived in a caravan for the last two years with their family. There's water pouring through, there's been no Christmas presents, they've maxed out credit cards. It's been a really, really torrid time. When you think about it, they've invested a very short period of time to go through some hardship, but it's not insurmountable, to live the life that they wish to live. And I figured that I could do that with time as well. So it, the only way to get out of my career was to actually find more time. I went by the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his book, Total Recall. And there's two things where he refers to time. He said, sleep faster, which I read as, I read as meaning that I had to have less sleep. And then he also referred to people that complained to him saying, hey, I'm working 12 hours a day. And his response was, what are you doing with the other 12? So for a period of about 16 months, I was up at 4 a.m. every single morning, working through till about midnight. I managed to make myself more efficient and really got our property business up and running. So I found more time. The great thing about that was when I did finally quit my career, I established that because I was working on my business and not in it because I had to be time efficient, it enabled me to go out and start another business. 
So time efficiencies and learning how you can drive those into your day really, really do pay dividends. So that's option one. The other option is to find a suitable partner to invest with. So you have the know-how, so you know how to evaluate a deal. You have capital behind you, but you don't have time. Find a suitable partner, one that has got experience, social proof, and knows how to do a property development, a property deal. Work with that person, and in many cases, they will actually be able to achieve better results than a uh, first-time investment that uh, um, a typical investor will make. Some important things to consider though. They have to have done it before. You must be able to speak with existing investors to make sure what they say happens actually happens. You need to um, make sure that they're offering you asset-backed security. So if the worst happens, you get your money back. And the other thing, and this is the thing I see so many people fail on, pay for good legal representation to ensure the contracts work. People never buy a property without a conveyancer, but many people go into property investment arrangements without paying a relatively small sum of money, £1,000, £1,500, on getting the legal agreements checked and drawn up. That is an imperative. But provided those things are checked and done, you can actually make better returns by investing in a company, in a developer that has been there and done it than if you were to do it yourself. It de-risks it, provided you put those legal things in place. Then we have the matter of know-how but no time and no money. Well, I think I've suitably covered off the bit that uh, everyone has time and you can find it. And this is all down to time management, desire and the um, drive to actually go out and make something happen. But there's something I do want to cover here that is so imperatively important. I see too many people that have got the know-how, feel that they don't have the time and they quit their job. It is a disastrous decision. And I've said so many times in the last five years, it's not embarrassing to have a job. Do not quit your job too soon. There's a number of reasons why. Firstly, you need to live and you need to make sure that you're paying the bills so you can continue to go out and look for property. The other is that property requires you to be investable. You need to have a credit rating and the mortgage lenders will need to make sure that you have an income before you um, can actually get a mortgage. Without this, your property journey is over really quickly. So whilst there are many people that tell you to quit your job, I have a very different view on that. And please, please make sure you do not quit your job too early. And then there's the matter of uh, the financial freedom figure that I hear talked about frequently. Basically, um, some of the gurus or training schools will say, add up your total bills a month, and that's all you need to cover before you quit your job. I say, that's wrong. You still need to live, you still need to have a credit rating, and I can assure you, it's not always easy, and you need to make sure that you're still able to do the things that you enjoy. So I would much rather suggest take time, Make sure you sacrifice time for a short period to make sure that you get the results you want, but do not 
throw in the career job, it's imperative that you do that. And then that leaves us with the last element of the, uh, um, uh, of the, the knowledge, and that's where you have time and money. Now, if you have both time and money, you are in a privileged position and you should already be do some, doing something in property. If you're not, there's potentially an issue with motivation or confidence or even that dreaded P word, procrastination. But you need to trust your training and go out and do something. In property, you make money when the market is going up. You make money when the market is static and you make the real money when the market's going down. So trust your training. But even when you start out with money, you will eventually run out of capital. And that's an issue. And so, uh, raising capital is something that you need to consider whether you're starting out with no money or you're starting out with money. And in many cases, and I get lynched frequently when I say this, it's harder starting out with capital than it is with no capital because you think you're invincible and then you run out of money and that's where you have to really go back to the drawing board. So starting with money is a privileged position, but you will run out. Raising capital is a whole important matter and one of the two most important things in property. And the two things are finding deals, raising capital. If though you have confidence issues, I'll refer back to my earlier point, go and find an exceptional and experienced developer that's already doing it, that can give you security on your capital and give you returns that you expect, get the legals drawn up, and there's a real great way to learn more, build confidence, and actually get yourself started out with property. So raising capital is imperative. We're gonna do a whole podcast on raising capital. Um, but I will go back to the point about uh, not having capital to start with. You absolutely need to have social proof and experience. Everything I've said here will enable you to achieve both that, whether um, your current circumstances, time and money, money and time, neither or both. Get deals under your belt and you have the experience then to leverage investors. That lastly then leaves us with no experience and or no know-how. And that's a bit of an issue to, uh, uh, to be in. However, you might not have any know-how, but you have capital and you want to get into uh, property. I think I've already suitably covered that. Find someone with a suitable track record and you can actually find out how to do deals whilst getting involved in them. If you have time and no know-how, make sure you learn network prolifically, listen to podcasts, go out and do available online courses, read, educate yourself, and even consider internships where you might want to volunteer your time within an experienced property developer's business so you can understand the ropes and see what happens. Might even be able to go and uh, get a job and earn some capital from that as well. So in summary, you don't need all three elements, time, know-how and money and in fact you don't actually need two you just need to be resourceful if you have capital find an experienced developer to work with if you have no time sleep harder make time or collaborate with others and know-how 
there's enough available in the public domain to make sure you can educate yourself. Knowledge is power. So that concludes my talk on the three most important elements in getting started in property, taking it back to basics, know-how, time, and capital. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you, Richard. Um, yes, I, I have a couple of questions lined up, so feel free to send your questions over, guys. Um, but with regards to raising capital, I know that it is a subject we are going to cover, um, but you mentioned about the social proof. Um, how, what importance would you put on the fact that you should be posting on social media, that you're actively looking at properties, that you're out there um, and, and constantly reminding people that you do properties? It, it's incredibly important. Someone needs to be able to go to your LinkedIn, your, um, your Facebook or whatever social media platform you so choose to operate on and see that you're in property couple of guidelines on that though i see so many people it's great to say viewings because it shows you're active but it doesn't show progression uh and i see so many particularly on property um groups people say offer accepted and they go out and celebrate well um that's not a deal and we know that one in three deals fall through either from the seller pulling out or the buyer not being able to complete so be strategic about how you are actually posting that. You, know, you um, really need to be talking, though, about deals that you're doing. Um, maybe actually give opinion on there's so much um, information. I, I look at um, so many uh, property news-related features because you know, it's, it's our industry. And you can actually put articles on there and comments, ask for opinion, solicit opinion from other people or just be sharing information that's useful to other investors. Other things that are, are really important is public speaking. Now, obviously that's not relating to property specifically, but you need to be showing people that you are actually sharing your knowledge because people love seeing that. They respect people talking, they respect people at the front of the room. And if you've got something to say, they generally wanna hear about it. Um, but being a shrinking violet and not coming forward and actually promoting yourself is, um, uh, is a real issue. So be strategic about it. I'm always really, really quite careful as well. You know, there's um, any one day um, you can look on um, all of the, the, the news feeds and there'll be 10 articles that say the market's booming and 10 articles that say the market's crashing. Now, if you're trying to um, uh, uh, entice investors, which you have to be very, very careful on, and I'm going into a bit of a rabbit hole here about uh, FCA regulation, you cannot entice or solicit investment. So you can't say, hey, look, I've got my new deal, I'm looking for investors, or you can't say, hey, look, I'm offering better um, rates of return than the banks, that's offering financial advice, and ultimately you can get prosecuted and spend 10 years at Her Majesty's pleasure for um, uh, breaching FCA regulation, whether you're regulated or not. So um, you need to um, make sure that your posts are relevant. Now, if you want to um, entice investors in, would you be saying the market is crashing um, and doom and gloom is happening in property? Probably not, but you want to give a fair balanced view on it. 
you know, I, I can see that the property market is going to take a turn towards the end of the year. This is my view, the data I've been studying, but that pre presents itself, excuse me, with new opportunity. So time now is making sure that you are aware of the market, go and building relationships. If a great deal comes across your desk, sure, do it, but be mindful that in 2008, all the great, uh, when the, um, the, you know, the market collapsed, all the great deals didn't really present themselves until 2009. So making sure that the, um, your audience and social media can see that you're positioning yourself, you know what's going on in the market, and that you're preparing for the day to go shopping. That's exactly what you, know, you and I, I did in 2009, um, was, you know, is, is, is a way to show people you know what you're talking about. So if you're going to talk about negatives in the market, make sure you're positioning it um, appropriately to uh, to make sure that people see how you um, um, uh, uh, that you're actually analysing what's going on in the market. Lovely, thank you. Um, I'm going to bring up uh, Vince Clinton. Um, this is his first um, event with us, our first podcast and event with us. So welcome, Vince. Thank you. Hi, Vince. How are we doing? All good. How, how can I help? What's your question today? So it, uh, it relates to uh, investment and in particular, um, uh, my accountant has, has advised that um, in order to secure some finance, that I actually um, start, I already have a, a limited company, right. but, but I start a new limited company purely for the property investment and, and loan some of the initial capital from my current limited to that new company um, because it's it's uh, a tax efficient way of of um, starting out, um, and also that the lenders are more likely to lend to a a new company set up for that purpose rather than a a, a going concern. Okay, um, and then sorry follow up and and then it also uh, the, the 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 accountant suggests that um, it's more. It, it becomes a lot um, uh, more cost-effective with multiple properties. So just investing in a single property in that in that portfolio, if you like, which I'm uh, not quite a portfolio, but you, you get my gist. Yeah. Um, because of the fees of running that limiting company, the more properties you have, the the the, the, the better, um, the more tax efficient it is, and also the more efficient in terms of fees. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... I'll, I'll break that back into two sections. Um, firstly, on the matter of the advice from your accountant, I'm not an accountant and I can't give um, advice on that because I'm not regulated to do so, but I can give you my opinion on that. Um, I trust my accountant to give me best advice. Um, everyone's um, uh, current situation is largely like a fingerprint it's unique to you. So uh, what works for me might be very different for you or anyone else um, on this call. Um, but the, the advice I will give an about, uh, about property accountants, and this could well be the case, uh, I just said this this morning actually to someone, uh, your, um, your accountant needs to be a property specific accountant. And I would thoroughly recommend that your accountant invests in properties themselves to make sure that they really understand that market. In terms about having a clean company to work with, 
Um, yes, I do agree with that. Uh, in terms of the lending and the tax efficiencies, that you will um, need to, um, you know, that's, that's something I really can't pass judgment um, on. Um, but if your accountant says that's most tax efficient for your circumstances, absolutely great. Um, you need to make sure, though, that you're also involving a broker. So before you necessarily finalise the setup of that, go and speak with the great residential mortgage broker. I've, um, I'm happy to um, uh, introduce you to, to mind as all of my uh, residential mortgages. If you need a commercial broker, I can um, introduce it to them as well. But make sure they understand what you're doing because they're the ones that will have the opinion of the actual uh, lenders for you. So your, your accountant's giving you best advice. Also speak with your broker and then ma basically marry those together. There are certain SIC codes that you need to make sure that your new property company has that the lenders want to see. And again, you can speak to your broker about that. Your accountant can give you those details as well. And there are also certain ones that you want to avoid. Um, and then once you've got that company set up, um, the second part to the, um, the question is about efficiencies. You know, if you start up a limited company per property, then obviously you're paying setup fees and then annual accountancy fees for each property as well. And that becomes a little bit inefficient. So yes, putting more properties into the one company works. Couple of things you need to be aware of there though. Some lenders want to put debentures onto the company. And if that's the case, other lenders might not then want to lend to you. So you need to be careful about which lenders you're working with. Then the other thing that you need to consider is that one bad apple ruins the, um, the, the barrel. And you need to make sure that you're not putting too much into one limited company, because if you have one issue, so one property that, or one legal case could actually bring your entire portfolio. So as you really start to grow, you might want to consider actually going into um, having new limited companies, having a certain number of properties in a company, then getting into a new one, because it can actually limit you or put you at more risk. I, I, I have spent, I've been fortunate enough to spend quite a bit of time with Donald Trump's right-hand man, so when he was a businessman, not the president, this isn't a political thing, uh, a gentleman by the name of George Ross, and he once said to me, he, he basically brokered all of Donald Trump's um, uh, real estate deals. Phenomenal guy, he's 92 now, still sharp as a button. And he said to me once, said, Richard, um, you only put in one company what you're prepared to lose if something goes wrong. So um, going back to that advice, as you grow, don't put too many things in one property. And then you do not mix development with property ownership. Um, so your, your, your portfolio company for a couple of reasons. One, the lenders don't like it. Two, developments are high risk. If you make a mistake in a development, you can ruin the last 10 years worth of work with your portfolio. Thank you. That's really nice. My pleasure. Lovely. Okay. Yeah. Great question, Vince. Um, next up. Um, next up, we have Aruna. Um, let me just unmute you, Aruna. Welcome. What's your question, Aruna? Hi there. Hi, Nina. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yep. Great. Hi, Richard. Um, hi, there. So, hi there. So my question is, do you have a specific strategy that you focus in on 
or have done over the past few years, as in um, flips, com commercial conversions, new builds, or is it whatever works at the end of the day in terms of numbers and profit? Uh, um, yes, we do have a strategy. Great, great question. And I, I get asked this so frequently and I was discussing it with three different people earlier today. Um, yes, we do. Uh, and we've been doing this for a while now. So we, we have a varied strategy and we have ones that we um, actually favour towards, but that's largely driven by market circumstances. Um, and uh, the, the strategy you deploy to start with should and will change, not, uh, not just because of market, uh, market uh, forces, but because um, it should change and, and, and evolve. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you some brief e examples. So um, back about five years ago, Nina and I said, right, okay, we really want to improve the revenue. This is when we're um, taking our, you know, our buy-to-let portfolio. So we really want to take this commercial now. So set up a company, got things going. And we focused solely on HMOs, houses of multiple occupation. And we actually chose a strategy where we wanted to take new modern townhouses we can convert them quickly they're very desirable and you've got multiple exits but that was our strategy and until we honed that strategy and improve and increased the income in our business to get to a certain point we did nothing other than that strategy even if we had a flip that was um you know, it was a dead cert or a development we said no because we wanted to focus and um, that is so important once we got that element of the business um, honed, automated, we said, right, okay, we can carry on doing those HMOs and that will happen in the background. We really now want to focus on flips. And so we started on flips and that's all we did until we got that into an automated process. So we've got the HMO thing going on, then the flip thing going on, and we always had the desire to get into developments, but we were now having monthly income so we can actually support the business and ourselves. We've got capital creation through flips, we can focus on development. So it will change over time. Now we're still doing um, investments, but uh, in terms of the strategy, where we are in, um, in geographically or the returns we expect, that changes over time as well. And I might be happier now to put money into a, a, a deal that gives me a return on investment of 20% instead of 50 plus percent because it's asset protection. I know I'm going buying a property in a great area that will appreciate over time. So I'm happier for lower returns. At the outset, I just needed to go for the highest returns because that's what was going to create the cash flow and enable me to recycle my capital. Two and a half years ago, we made the conscious decision that we were going to go into a particular type of development. So commercial, office, industrial to residential. And we wanted to focus on six to 12 units. The reason we did that, capital creation, we could see that a, an economic downturn was coming. We didn't expect that to be in the form of a global pandemic. But um, we also chose this particular strategy because it's a very quick development, because you're working within the existing confines of a, um, of a building. If you do ground up development, you're looking at 18, 24 months. And we felt that just kept us inflexible because if the market changed, we wouldn't be able to exit them quickly. Um, the, um, the commercial to residential, we can be out in eight, nine, 12 months. And we felt that that was a much more agile solution by going 
uh, six to 12 units. Six gives you the critical mass. Uh, we did do a development of four last year though. And by keeping it to 12 or um, below, we're actually not creating competition. We're not flooding the market. That said, we did a block of 29 last year as well. So if the opportunity presents itself and the deal works, we'll do it. But um, we're now still looking for deals like that, but I'm happy to start looking for land again because I don't know where the market's going to be in 12 months. So I can actually go and start, if I de-risk a project, go and get a land site and do ground up building uh, work, I can exit that in two years. And I'd like to think the market will have uh, stabilized a bit by then from now. So strategy constantly evolves. It's again, it's like tax um, scenario. It's like the thumbprint that I mentioned. It's largely um, uh, driven by your personal circumstances. Do you have capital to start with? Do you have time? Do you have know-how? Where do you live? What type of, you know, do you want to go for social housing and do the, the for good? Or do you want to do capital creation? Do you need income? Are you looking to leave, leave your job? So it's a very personal thing, your strategy. It will evolve um, over time because it, it naturally should as your experience grows. But the key thing there is focus on one thing until you've got it really down and, uh, um, and honed, then start looking at other strategies. Okay, thank you, perfect. Lovely, great, thank you, Irina. Um, next up, we're going to bring up um, Kimberly Shapcock. Um, oh, I've heard Kim of her. Oh, we have indeed. Kimberly, welcome, what's your question? Um, so, um, it's been really interesting listening. Um, I suppose my question is when you have limited time, yeah. what do you think are the best things to focus on? Because I know there's some people who maybe still have jobs and are doing things for us. There's a lot of family time at the moment, so we still want to move things forward, but obviously time can be more limited. So what, I suppose, from your experience, have you found are the key things that you wanted to focus on because it helped you actually keep moving forward? Are you talking about strategies to um, be more efficient? I'm sorry. Hi, Kim. Great to see you on, on, <laughs> you uh, on online. Um, are you talking about strategies to be more efficient in time or are you talking about what you should do to best affect your next property investment? I suppose it's what you should do with the time that you have to kind okay. of use it effectively, efficiently, because you could go on 20 viewings a day, but... Obviously, if you're doing just doing viewings all the time, you're not going to move forward, but you obviously need to do some viewings to get some. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, I, um, there's nothing quite like being out in the field looking at properties. It's also really inefficient use of time as well. Um, you will find some deals because when you're chatting to the agent, he'll say, oh, that's something that's in my desk drawer that I've not been able to shift for six months or a new listing today. That's the gem. But going out and looking at properties that are um, just available on Rightmove, you can do pretty much all of the desktop research on that as well. Uh, I have actually done Facebook Live viewings. It's with agents that I've known. Um, or you can actually say, if you know the area well and you know the property type, uh, there are certain properties in our first investment area where I could just say, can you measure between this, this point and this door in that room? And then I'll know if I can make that property work. So... Um, and actually something else I was only saying to someone just uh, um, earlier today, um, looking at properties, and this is the trick I learned really early on, looking at properties, you shouldn't be looking as to why you can make that deal work. You need to, in the quickest amount of time possible, establish why you, it wouldn't work for you. And when you flip that, 
it means that you can actually assess more properties. And given limited time, and if you're doing a lot of it from a laptop, you need to flip the way in which you're reviewing property. So by, um, by looking at it as quickly as you possibly can, you say, this isn't the deal, move on to the next one. You can actually do from, I can pick up damp um, on pictures on Rightmove that people haven't even seen when they've been to visit the property. Um, so have a sharp eagle eye, um, looking at um, things that you can from the pictures and really, really um, discard properties that, um, uh, that you don't want to go and look at. So the ones you do are ones that you know the numbers work on already. So just a quick mental arithmetic, you go, numbers work, go and see that one. And so when you're going to look at properties, you've already had the conversation with the agent, you know it works for you, you know that the actual seller is receptive to a negotiation, you've already covered that off. So you're doing it like from the comfort of your own home. But getting out there in the field, you can't remove. The other option is um, relationship building, um, going out, finding sources, say, hey, look, you know, um, it, it's quite funny. You can put an advert saying, hey, I've got capital. I want, uh, I, I need properties and you'll get inundated. Um, but with sourcing agents, be very, 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 very careful. I know, Kim, you're a really experienced investor anyway. But when they come to you with a deal, make sure you do the due diligence. Cool. Thank you. That's some useful tips there. What you can from um, from from your desktop, finding the quickest way to dis disregard a property as an opportunity. Um, that means you can actually analyse more and go and see the gems. Uh, but relationships as well, speaking to agents, um, emailing them, just saying what you're after. Cool. Thank you. My pleasure. Great to have you on, Kimberly, and it's great to hear your three-year-old new baby in the background as well. <laughs> three-year-old or three-week-old? Three-week-old, sorry. <laughs> three-week-old. Apologies. <laughs> um, next, we're going to bring up, uh, Gwen, just before I do, it's such a good point there on, 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 um, that you've made there about not about doing the due diligence, doing the numbers before you go and visit properties. I think people get carried away with seeing a property that looks good, but waste important time on doing viewings um, without running the numbers properly. So it's such a good point. Um, so I'm going to bring up Gwen uh, Rochester next. Um, Gwen, welcome. What is your question? Hi, Gwen. If you can just unmute yourself, Gwen. I'm unmuted now, you can hear me. Um, I was interested in um, what your views are with the high street changing as, as we're predicting shops closing. Um, I know that um, one of the strategies has been like a mixed use where you have the flats to convert above and then you have the shop to rent below. But I can see that being difficult now because you know, there's going to be issues with renting shops because, it, you know, the, the view is that there's going to be more online. So I'm just interested in what your views are in that area and strategy. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Great question, Gwen. Um, so firstly, um, shops with tops um, or shops with uppers, as some people call them, are a great strategy. You know, you can actually, if they're not converted, you can convert them into flats or if they were a large two maybe even three-storey home above the shop, you can split them down into flats. Um, there has been a change in the planning um, laws that was um, announced uh, last week in Boris's build, build, build um, uh, uh, strategy. 
um, that will allow certain property types to be converted into a different use class, even residential, without having to go through full planning. Um, there are some exceptions to that. So um, if they are important um, uh, um, buildings, so actual certain shop types or pubs or post offices, they're, they're not included in that. Um, but there will be um, some opportunity to convert street level properties that were shops into residential. And I personally have a bit of an issue with that because um, I'm not entirely convinced that a owner occupier would want to buy something that's necessarily opening onto a high street. You're then going to potentially have a mix of home, shop, home, shop. And in reality, if the owner occupier doesn't want to buy it, it's going to be a rental. And then it's, it could be a sort of a, a, a high occupancy type rental solution. So I'm just not convinced on it. Um, there are some buildings that will lend themselves really well to that. You know, there's um, Debenhams in Wokingham. It's this vast thing that um, uh, will actually convert very nicely into to residential. I know that there's a scheme going on that with that now. But with regards to the high street shops, it refers to a saying that one of my mentors told me, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So um, I'm not going to be um, rushing after converting street level um, uh, retail units that are available to convert into residential into residential. But there will be some exceptions to that and it will work in some areas. I'm just not convinced that a blanket rule is the one is the right one. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Gwen. Um, next, I'm going to bring up Sarah Flynn. Sarah, welcome. What's your question? Hi, Sarah. Hi, Richard. Um, right, yeah, my question was, in the current climate, given obviously that um, networking face-to-face -face is completely off limits, yeah. what do you suggest is the best way to go about attracting investors? Where, where would you go? What would you do? It's just a bit of an open question, really. Yeah, sure. So um, doing exactly what you're doing at the moment is a, a great way of um, talking to people about what you do. Uh, it's not just going to uh, networking events online. It's making yourself apparent and getting yourself known up there, asking questions, adding value to the other audience members and getting yourself known to the people that are actually running the event. Um, I've done so much networking online. Obviously, we've been running these events as well. But I've been doing so much networking online in the last three and a half, four months. And those have led to... Um, just from me making myself apparent uh, and being interactive with the uh, online events, uh, I've actually got to know Nicholas Cowell. Uh, he's a major, major London property developer. You might have heard of his brother, Simon. Um, so, um, so getting a connection like that has been phenomenal. I've interviewed Julian Healy. He's the CEO of NARA, who represents um, all the fixed charge receivers. So he's been extremely helpful in teaching me how to actually now speak to present myself to the receivers um, to try and pick up new opportunities. Um, I've actually gained new clients, so investors and other clients through actively speaking. So um, it's, it's, it's about getting yourself out there, getting yourself known. But I'll refer to my earlier point, you, you can't go and try and attract or entice investors 
by um, putting adverts out saying, hey, look, I'm offering better returns than the banks, or this is a great deal because you're therefore offering financial advice. So be, um, be really careful about how you do that. But I've found that enthusiasm wins the day, talking about all the great projects that you're doing and all the exciting things that you've got going on in your life online uh, and through, through your networks, speaking, speaking speaking is uh, uh is, is absolutely key and i know you've just started a, a, um, a podcast recently um uh, I, I hear they work which is uh, naturally why we've started one as well and um, actually my coach telling me for three months that i had to do it and um, i finally gave in but it's been so far great fun and um uh, it's been a really exciting time so um continue to get yourself known um, go to property events to find deals, get yourself to business networking events to um, uh, find other business partners or potential investors. Um, and yeah, just get yourself in front of the, um, the type of clients that you want. Thanks, Richard. My pleasure. All online, of course, at the moment. <laughs> um, we have one last question um, from Vince, who asked the first question. Um, he's asked, um, is Supla a good source of background information in relation to properties? Uh, yes, it is, um, as is Rightmove. Um, don't forget, you're always working with out-of-date data um, because they data scrape from sites like Land Registry. So you're uh, always working two, three months behind. Uh, it's lagged a little bit now as well because uh, obviously um, not being able to work in offices, Land Registry, uh, even at one point actually um, made it a manual process. If you wanted a a, a title register you actually had to write into them i have no idea why they did that it seemed crazy um but you're always working with um with old data another great site is not the best it's a bit clunky in terms of its usability um it's home.co.uk there's some great statistical data on there um then you've got some of the other ones the pay for website that really you know give you um, um the the data that uh, the RIC surveyors use. Um, depending on how advanced uh, you are in your investment journey, you know, some, some of these subscriptions are pretty hefty, but um, you know, if you're doing developments, you absolutely have to have that, that data. But yeah, Zoopla's good. I love the Hoopla, Zoopla heat map. A quick one on that um, is that if you look at the heat map, uh, it's, it's blue for lower value properties and red for higher value properties. So you can actually go and pick your locations depending on strategy. So for example, you're not going to go into a blue um, area to try and uh, get a below market value property that needs renovation and then do it as a super advanced or singing or dancing best developed property in the area because um, properties are always capped by the properties around it. So if you wanted to go and uh, find a flip where you can add massive value, go to a red area on Zoopla and then find the rundown property in that area because you know you've now got a bigger delta between your buy price and the market value. So that's where you can make some money on flips. So the blue areas, you go, well, actually, that might be where I go and find a rundown property and renovate it um, to a good standard, but cost effectively and have it as a rental and maybe convert it into an agent. So using that data um, strategically to actually help you pick a strategy or find out the areas, uh, it's really helpful. Um, there are so many uh, about there, but a lot of it is from land registry. 
um, some of the, the, the paid for events. There's so much prop tech out there now. It's really exciting. Some of the stuff is really, really cool that's available. But you, um, you're looking 100, 150 plus per month subscriptions. But it depends on how busy you are. And um, that's, um, that access to that data is invaluable, uh, really is when you're doing developments, because it can um, help you assess square foot buy price, square foot sell price, uh, one side of a road to another, um, the good areas, the bad areas, and it will help you actually analyze your deal. So it's money well invested. But Zoopla, great start. So is right move. Uh, there's lots and lots of them. Home.co.uk. Lovely, thank you. Great advice, Richard. Um, we do just have one more question, actually, um, that's come up. Um, uh, where has he gone? Uh, he's just disappeared off my screen. One second. Oh, yes. Um, sorry. Um, I'm going to bring up um, Abdullah, who was um, in great agreement with you earlier about um, how he sourced on uh, a block of flats and then found a JV partner to push it over the line. He has a question for you. Fantastic. Hi there. If you can unmute yourself, Abdullah, you have you should be able to. Lovely. Yeah. So hi everyone, thank you. Hi, yeah, Abdullah. My question, my question is, uh, what do you look for when you buy land, and what are your key criteria? In 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 what regard? I mean, so. Uh, it would all be based. It, it would all be based on you know, what I'm wanting to achieve. So, if I'm wanting to build a block of flats, um, will it allow me to put um, the relevant um, uh, parking on it? Uh, if I'm building a couple of houses, um, you know, does it have trees? What's the topography of the site? Uh, it, it's it's quite a wide and broad um, uh, um, question because it's sometimes you have to fit the strategy to the site. So you might say, okay, I'm going to build some houses. I want sites that will allow me to build, I don't know, six to eight houses. Firstly, the criteria would then need to make sure that there's enough space to achieve those. Um, I would be looking at, you know, where do the trees lie? What is it facing uh, north, south, east or west? Where's the light coming from? Are these properties going to be attractive on the resale market? Where's the road going to come in from? Do I need to consider adopted highways? Um, am I going to need to get a feasibility study for traffic? Uh, it's, it's a really, really broad one. But are you, if you're a source, are you asking what I'm specifically looking for right now so you can bring me deals? Or are you just saying in general? Yes, I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So... Uh, in terms of, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad we're talking, um, we're straight talking now. So uh, for land sites, I really want to be in home counties, the north side of London or even one uh, county out at the moment. So um, Hertfordshire, um, Buckinghamshire, Bedfordshire, Berkshire. Um, I have looked at Cambridgeshire. They're still commuter to town. It's a little bit far out. Um, but I'm based in Hertfordshire. So... Uh, for ground up builds, looking for um, for sites that um, will realise four to um, four to ten units, really um, good sized, um, either uh, semis or um, or detached. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for the question. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about what we do or to get to know us 
please visit inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.